Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast, where we introduce you to a world of small to medium business acquisitions and mergers. We interview business owners, industry leaders, authors, mentors, and other influencers with the sole intent to share with you what it looks like to buy or sell a business. Let's get rolling. And now a moment for our sponsors. I want to highly recommend you get Acquisition Aficionado magazine. Every month, Acquisition Aficionado magazine brings you tactics for business buying and selling you won't find anywhere else. Learn firsthand from industry leaders who share their success stories, featuring in-depth interviews and stories from leading figures in the business acquisition industry. This multi-platform mobile magazine speaks to acquisition entrepreneurs wherever they are in the journey. And I want you to visit acquisitionaficionado.com today. Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast. I'm here today with Joe Burrell and he is the CEO of JustWebsiteBrokerage.com. Thank you for being here today, man. It's my pleasure. Awesome. So where are you coming in from? Let's explain the the accents real quick because I, I love where you live there. Yeah, okay. So I'm originally from Australia, so the accent's Australian, but I currently live in Sweden, so in, in, just near Stockholm. We've recently moved a bit out, so... Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. So let's start off on how you get started, man. Let's get people to know who you are. What is your origin story? How did you get started into being a broker, particularly selling websites? So I actually started out buying and selling my own websites. So, so I, I used to build and buy them and then sell them. That was sort of the portfolio, the strategy that I followed. I got introduced to this through my mentors and now friends, Matt and Liz Rod. They live in Australia and they run a high-end mentoring course that I joined back in 2012. So I've basically been doing this since then. The main focus has always been on content sites, but essentially what happened, the transition to becoming a broker happened maybe four years ago, 2018-ish, and it basically came about by me discovering or leaning into the main skill set that I had, which was selling businesses. So I would often like buy a business, run it for a few, for a year or so, and then I would sell it. And almost always, regardless of how it performed, I would sell it for more than what I bought it for. And so that was where the bulk of the paycheck came from. And the progression to the brokerage happened slowly, but very naturally. And now it's pretty much all I do. I don't actually own any other sites myself. I say you don't own any current websites now? No, just the brokerage. I think I have about 12 or 13 listings live on flipper.com right now. So that takes up pretty much all my time. <laughs> okay. I'm going to yeah. date myself here, but are you familiar? I think we talked about this on the pre-show. Warrior Forum, remember that? Uh-huh. Yes. And SidePoint. SidePoint yeah. was, uh, Flipper yeah. was born out of SidePoint. That was what we used to use. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I used to- Slightly I, before I, my time, but yes. I, I'm I used to flip it. websites and back when there was no Flippa and we- bartered and bought and sold them from the warrior forum and site point yep. and uh wild west <laughs> yeah wild wild west it's funny that i call it that but i got burned on one pretty bad and went to and i had a full-time yeah. job i was making six figures and i was like i'm not gonna and yeah. i was day trading full-time not full-time but i was trading day trading from the i was in california day trading and for the first two or three hours of the day until i hit a particular number i was flipping websites yeah. and then i had a government contracting job and something had to go and then i got burned pretty bad on one of my website flips i bought something that was spoofed they had a content yeah. what they call that a private link network so all their traffic was coming from their other sites and the second i bought it they uh -huh. just shut down yeah. the links and i no, didn't know any better you've got to be careful like i mean today that would be easily spotted just by getting google google analytics guest access yeah and then you can so, just delve in if it's all direct then it's like well, why is it all direct you can sort of ask those questions and Right. About it. I'm dating myself here. There wasn't any Google, yeah. Google analytics back, back then. Uh, analytics is something you chose to or not chose not to install on your own yep. web server. <laughs> there were people who my mentor included Matt actually for one for a while thought that Google, if they have Google analytics installed, they've got access to more information and they're more likely to hit you. It doesn't really happen. I don't think anymore. They can pretty much get that, that in, in information, however, but. I think that you're, you're doing yourself a huge disservice by not having it installed just because it's the industry standard and right. you, you gain so much useful information that you can use for your business. What, if you were to ask someone who doesn't have it installed, what's your most popular page? 
I've done quite a few interviews, probably close to 100, about 80 of them are out. I'm buying, selling everything from brick and mortar companies to tech companies. I've had one other individual on here. We talked about this pre-show. I'm not going to do that here, but that have talked about buying and selling websites and content sites and review sites and that type of stuff. So let's mm -hmm. get into that because I want that different perspective. What does it look like? Let's start. You bought a bunch of them and sold a bunch of them. Let's start with the selling side, your brokerage side. Yeah. What does it look like to sell a website? What's the process you would go through if I brought you this website and say, here, I'm, I don't want to maintain this anymore. I want to sell it. What would you need from me and what would we be looking for? Okay. The first step is the valuation. So you need to know roughly how much I think it's worth to get that. I usually need a few things, which is filled in on the form on my website. I'll give you that valuation. We have a bit of a conversation if necessary. And then the brokerage agreements basically get signed. And then after that, we proceed to compile all the information that we need uh, to get the business both ready for sale and just looking good, prepared, like it's ready to sell. Things like Google Analytics, like we were talking about before, I need access to that so we can delve into and do a bit of surface level due diligence. Screenshots of the income, profit and loss statements, your profit each, and this is a monthly thing as well, by the way, it's very rarely done yearly. So you do every single month separately. The PNL, and then also a seller interview that basically asks all the essential questions that I need to know about your business that we can then use to create a listing description that just describes your business essentially. So what that's basically the bulk of the work that the seller has to do. Once that's done, we take all that information. We do our, our surface level due diligence and vet all the data, make sure that it's all good. Profit and loss looks good. And everything is what we say it is put the get together the listing description. Um, and then we run everything past the seller to make sure that it's all good. And then. It's basically time to list. Oh, and I also do a detailed valuation at that point. I'll go through now. Obviously I've got more information and I know more about the business. Maybe there's a red flag that I didn't know about when I gave the initial valuation or the profit had come down in the last few months or whatever. And then we discuss what strategy we're going to use. I would say about 90, 95% of the listings that I sell go on flipper.com. I'm partnered with them and I've been working on flipper.com for gosh, I don't, basically since I started 2012, 10 years. So, You're one of their top producers um, too, aren't you? Yeah, I'm definitely a power user. They've come to me a few times for beta testing and new features that are rolling out and stuff like that. I'm probably one of the people who are most familiar with Flipper because I'm every day I'm in there doing something. <laughs> awesome. So let's go back a little bit here. We talked about valuation. So in the brick and mortar space, there's things that can make, even software as a service, There's a, there are things that can make a company much more valuable, like recurring revenue, versus one-time revenue, great systems and processes. Are there things that really move the needle on valuations of website content, that type of stuff? Absolutely. There are a number of things. I look at things like age. So how old is it? So obviously a business that has got, that's 10 years old is better than one that's only one year old. So that obviously that's going to earn a higher multiple. I look at the niche. So there are some niches that are not evergreen. So that the ones that are like tied to like a game or a trend or something that has just gone up or just coming down or something like this, that's not expected to continue. Obviously that's going to get a significantly lower valuation. Things like how many, how much other assets come with it is also a really important thing. So a lot of the businesses that I sell, especially smaller ones, usually they don't have much to them. They don't even have a Facebook page. They don't have any, anything, basically no list. It's just the domain name and the website content, that's what you buy. But if you get one that's more established, they've got like Facebook page, Instagram, TikTok, they've got an email list of 10,000 people. That's obviously a lot more valuable uh, because you've got things to work with. If something happens to the main website, you've got other assets to work with still. So you're, you're basically never going to go a hundred percent to zero. <laughs> you know? So those sorts of things also help. Gosh, I could go on and on. There's loads and loads of things that adjust it. Trend, obviously profit trend is also very, very significant. So if a lot of people will take the last 12 months, trailing 12 months, average that out and use that as their multiplier. But obviously if the business has just been going up and up and up and up and up, it doesn't make sense to use the 12 months you use last like three or six months average instead. And of course, if the average goes from being 3000 
to 6,000, that's going to bump up the price quite a lot. Things like that, lots to look at. <laughs> yeah, I've seen the range. It's different. So the multiple you're referring to is different than the multiple most of our listeners are used to because they're used to multiples of SDE, seller's discretionary earnings, and yeah. or multiples of EBITDA to where on the websites it's multiples of profit, but it's done off the 12 monthly, not the yearly, right? So that's you know, correct. Yes. The reason I'm prefacing this is where I'm going to ask you a question here and everybody hears that they're going to freak out because like <laughs> the, your answer to what the multiple would be is going to be a little different than what they expect. And that's because it's multiple yeah. off the monthly profit, right? That's so correct. Yeah. What is so, the going multiple range for content-based websites? Yeah. Okay. Like you say, I'll just say it again. What we're talking about is the monthly profits. I consider that SDE. Most of the businesses that I operate is SDE, not EBITDA. That's, that's sort of a bit, those are typically for bigger businesses that have yeah. like company structures and you're usually selling the whole company. Most of the sales that we do are asset sales. So we're selling right. just the asset. So SDE is seller's discretionary earnings is basically what you would typically look at for most of these businesses sort of upwards probably to even 500k anything less mm -hmm. than 500k you sort of you're right. probably looking at SDE. so in terms of multiple that will be so 24x mm -hmm. when i say 24x that's two years the profit mm -hmm. i would normally range it somewhere between two years uh, mm -hmm. so 24 to 35 sometimes even higher depending on how quality the asset is so that's usually a rough range Mm -hmm. It's really difficult. You can't really say, cause I mean, I've got one content site listed right now. It's in a foreign language. It's being built on an expired domain. It's got lots of sort of issues with it. It's not unsellable. It's still making lots of profit, but there are lots of risks involved. And so it got a much lower multiple. I think that one's listed for 18 X even less. Right. There are exceptions to this rule, but typically you can expect if it's a good, well-built, not expected to crash kind of business, then 2024. For sort of the minimum, I would say. Yeah. And if all the stars align right, like it's a good website, it has a newsletter of like 10,000 or less, probably, and it's got its Facebook page and its Instagram profile and stuff. If all the stars align, what is the top multiple that you see? I kind of know what I've been looking at. I've personally sold businesses for over 100x. So, yeah. you know, that those are kind of a little bit anomalies, and I'm not really sure you can't really count on that happening. My valuation certainly wasn't that high, but it does happen. And there are certain circumstances that you can sort of put it in to give it the best chance that that will happen. I think probably the highest I would go for a valuation would be maybe 40, a bit over 40 X. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking of, it'd be like 30, 36 to 42 kind of in that range of everything lined up. Yeah. There are other brokers who will go way above that. I don't like to promise the moon and then deliver not like far less. Like, I would much rather give a much more realistic valuation. This is how much you should expect to sell it for and then sell it within that range <laughs> than giving them, giving a price that's way too high and then selling it for a lot less. I have like, a knack for realistic expectations. I have a knack for saying what's on my mind and I actually have a knack for, I won't say anything behind somebody's back and won't say straight to their face. I've had empire flippers on here <laughs> and joke around with him and I'll say it again. I would buy websites on Flippa and sell them on Empire Flippers because if they're really selling them at what they're listing them for, they're always asking for 36 to 48. And let's just, of course, they're, they're not selling for that much. No, yeah, they're, they're asking the is high. But they've done a service to the industry because they've brought the multiples up to what really they should be. So there are, I mean, not so good for a buyer maybe, but for a seller, it's great. And as a business owner, which you will be once you buy, that's mm -hmm. a good thing. You want to yeah. see the multiples going up. So they've definitely done that. I've worked with Empire Flippers before as well. I've sold business on their personal, my own personal business on there once just to sort of try it out and see how it went. It went okay. There was nothing wrong, but it happened. They gave me a super high valuation and it did not sell for that much. <laughs> okay. I've got an affiliate uh, connection with both of them. So any ads I put on here, I get paid off of either one of them. I just joke and really tease them like, man, their valuations seem high. I, I look through them. I was like, I'm going to buy something off of Flip. If I buy something, I'm going to come sell it on your website. If we just, yeah. it's kind of like, I used to be in real estate, right? And people call me, but Zillow says my house worth X, Y, Z. And I was like, yeah. well, sell it to exactly. Zillow then because their numbers are always high. <laughs> call them up and see if they will cut that check. Exactly. Yeah. And they won't. <laughs> I've got about four houses I'm selling right now. I have a bunch of real estate in Oklahoma. We've got four of them for sale. I take the Zillow listing price all day long. Mm -hmm. On those four houses, I would double my 
what I would make on them if I get Zillow prices on them. Well, similar thing here. I'm sure, like, let's not discredit them. I'm sure that they yeah. do get some. Oh, I bet they do. Listing so, sold, especially the smaller ones, probably yeah. sell for. I've talked to a few website flippers, and that's exactly what I asked them. It's like, where do you buy and where do you yeah. sell? And I've had more than one of them tell me, I buy them off of Flippa and I try to sell them on Empire. Flippa's gotten a lot better recently in the quality of the listings that are coming on there. They're vetting a lot more than they used to. It used to be just you're on your own, basically. You can reach out to them for help if you want, but they won't help you directly. But now they're much, much, much better. Yeah, I've had them on here too. I guess, matter of fact, I was supposed to have a CEO on here again this week because we had him in June. And so if he comes on this week, we'll probably have him in February and stuff. So probably in the next week or so, I think we rescheduled the, we're going to record it on December and actually probably the first week of February, he'll be on here again. Are there any industries you avoid? I know it's content websites. Are there any type of content? Like, look, I'm not, I'm just not interested in helping you. Gambling, porn. For me personally, firearms and those sorts of things. I have represented some like marijuana businesses, but they have to be in legal states and those sorts of things. There are some niches that are definitely less desirable. For example, I sold a a sugar dating site, which is where you're cashed up sugar daddy dating. Yeah. I know what it is. I laugh because I get approached. I'm happily married, but I get approached because I have this podcast. We're talking to multimillionaires and people go, could you introduce me? I was telling you this before the show. I get reach outs like, hey, will you introduce me to that guest on the show? I was like, no, I will not. (laughs) I've sold some of those, but there are definitely some logos. Porn sites are obviously one of them. They make a lot of money, but difficult to sell. And they... Yeah, I'm sure that there are actually brokers out there that will do it for you. Say, so, yeah, I cruise through both Empire Flippers and Flippa. I don't think I've ever seen any adult content sites on either. They may not allow it. I don't know. I know. Flippa, yeah. I know for a fact Flippa doesn't. I know Empire Flippers also don't, yeah. uh, but they were entertaining the option like five years ago. I remember. So, yeah, I'm not interested. Talking. I had a huge opportunity when I got out of the military to be part of one a buddy of mine that was in the Navy had started one of the, like, this is like 98, 99, a long time ago. And he was killing it. I mean, to the point where his ISP threatened to kick him out and he ended up buying the ISP, like the little internet service provider where we live. He just bought their warehouse. They were like, they're wanting him to leave because he was causing too much traffic. He was like, why don't I buy it? And they sold it to him. And then his accounting firm finally figured out what he did and was giving him a hard time. He bought a, their, one of their competitors and bought his own accounting firm. He's like, I'm your number one client. I'll own it. But it, yeah, it's, yeah. He, he was making, he had a Japanese site that was making a ton and he ended up in divorce. It was just, I just not interested in that space. Like I never, I taught martial arts for a long time when I was skinnier before all these knee surgeries and car wrecks, but uh, I bounced in nightclubs for fun. I thought I used to think I'd want to buy a nightclub because they make good money, but having worked in them and been a bouncer in them and see what goes in on, on them. There's just so much that goes, you're just around an element. There's so much stuff going on inside of there. You're constantly around it. I wouldn't want to be mm. that. So drug transactions yeah. and all kinds of stuff, right? Yeah. Of course. But uh, so there's a certain, that's why I asked, is there any industries you just don't want to mess with? Because I'm the same way. I don't yeah. mess with certain things. I just yeah. moved from a state where they had medical marijuana and I moved into a state where it's legally recreational here in California. You don't mm. have to have a medical card or anything. You just walk in and be an adult and buy it at any, like it's like a liquor store. They have stores everywhere. That said, it's still not federally legal, and I like to play occasionally on big international products. And what I found is there's a like there's insurance when you get these big international roll-ups where you're like you're doing hundreds of millions or billion-dollar roll-ups, and there's we do insurance on the key executives, and basically it just insures the company in the event that you're sued, and that way, if the company's sued, the insurance policy keeps it from dipping into your personal information your personal world is what it's supposed to do but they won't cover it if you're doing anything like that so our big international mm-hmm. roll-up we were looking for ins- it's not a, i forgot what it's called now it's director's policy or a executive and director's type of policy like i had a small business where i would help close real estate transactions for friends and stuff i would do the paperwork close it and have my runner go file it and stuff but they seen that as such a high risk they said if you don't stop that we can't insure you as part of an executive of this company In the questionnaire, so you live in Oklahoma, they have medical marijuana, are you participating or own any interest in any of that industry? And they were, they're going to exclude it. So I stay away from, like, I don't have a thing against that industry. It's oversaturated in most markets, but. uh, Yeah, but that that is exactly why a niche like that will get a little multiple because there are less people who will be interested in it. Let's just start. There are more dispensaries in Oklahoma than there are gas stations or grocery stores or fast food chains. I at least still live 
Like it was 17 miles one way to get to groceries, to buy groceries. Like there was a little, and that was a, a Walmart Supercenter type. They had groceries and everything, right? So it's 17 miles one way to get groceries. On the way there, you would cut across at least seven dispensaries <laughs> to go get groceries. That's right? crazy. Yeah, it was just, it, yeah. it's oversaturated. It's going to shut down. So we talked about what industries you would avoid. What's your favorite deal? Let's do a little bit of story time. I love stories. What's a favorite thing you've ever helped some, either bought and sold yourself or helped somebody do the coolest website you've ever been around? What's your favorite story to tell? Hmm. Let me see. I haven't told many because, well, I've sold a lot. So I'm running through my head and trying to pick out maybe something that would be an interesting story. Some of the best deals I've done have just been like done. Yeah. And like, I mean, I guess I could cover something like that. I think it was one of the bigger deals I've done to date uh, in the six figure range. And it was done and dusted in 10 days. It was really, really fast, but that's a bit of a boring story. <laughs> hey, I think I'm some on, on my website. And then 10 days later, is that because you just, you've been doing this a while, you know, this space inside and out, like in the I real estate, yeah. yeah, I'll say in the real yeah. estate world, I used to walk into a house, like we, we bought and sold hundreds of houses through our company. It sounds impressive, but a lot of times you're not making much money on them because you're just in and out of them, selling them to other investors. But I'd walk in and go, this isn't one for me, but I know I know, Mr. Ruiz is going to want this one. I just, I yeah. would actually, I knew how he priced things and I would just price it. So it's kind of a, what they call a wholesale deal in that space, but I would just price it because I knew what he would pay me and pay me to get it for him. And there are other ones I walked in, it's like, okay, this is what I'm looking for. It's mine. But I imagine you've done this long enough. You get a website and go, I know who wants this. Yeah, well, I have a list of what I call like a high-end buyers list, people who have shown expressed interest at high, high multiples and oh, high, either they bought from me before or they have expressed interest for higher budgeted businesses and in specific niches and stuff like that. I track that and keep my list segmented so I can email directly to those people. And that's what happened in this particular scenario. I really, I should have thought about this before the call because I've got so many Where's the fun really, in that? really cool stories. I know. Well, the fun in that is the, the, the fun part of this is putting you on the spot and having you come up with something cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, think about it for a second there. I have a question along that realms and then we'll circle back if you got a good story. I just thought of one. I just thought of one. It's, it's a bit old. It covers one of the strategies that I use for smaller businesses. And this is a small business. So obviously it wasn't. It was a friend of mine who, who has also come up through Matt Liz's mentoring course. It was quite a public sale. So I know that they have no problem with me talking about it. The site was called curdnerd.com. It was sort of like a passion niche about creating curd cheeses. Oh, you said curd. Uh, I thought you said code, like code nerd. You said curd, curd nerd. Curd. Okay. Yes, so make cheese making. Okay. Interesting. Cheese making. Yeah. So very, very interesting niche. I've never seen anything quite like it before. This one was, it did get a very high valuation from me. And mm -hmm. ended up selling for more than double what we valued it at. And I'll explain why, but there are a number of reasons as to why that was good. It had all of the things. It was old, but it was small, which mm -hmm. meant that obviously the smaller it is, typically the more buyers there are. More people have got the cash just to go here, take, take the cash and we'll run the business 100% ownership. And we listed the business Flipper mm -hmm. starting Flipper's got the option to do it as a reserve, as an auction. So you, you can run it as an auction for say three weeks or so. And you can usually, what you'll do is you'll set a reserve. So say if you value a business at 20 K or whatever, you set the reserve at basically what you would be willing to accept the a sale for. One of my strategies for, especially for smaller businesses is to list mm -hmm. it with $1 and no reserve. So. It will mean, it basically means that the site will sell to the highest bidder. And what can often end up happening is if someone, if multiple people really want it, the bidding just keeps going up and up and up. It doesn't always work because obviously if you've set the reserve that low, it can end lower than you were hoping it would sell. And that does happen too. And so that's why it's important to have realistic valuations and things like that before we go in. But yeah, anyway, I digress. The, this particular one just went absolutely ballistic and I think it sold for 55 X or yep. something like this. It was very, very good. Might have even been more than that. I've forgotten. It's a bit of, a bit of an old story because it was one of my early successes, I think maybe three years ago or so. But yeah, that was excellent. That was a, sort of a really unique niche, unique sale. I think it only sold for like 16K, but it was only making about 300 a month or something. So <laughs> two or 300 a month. Uh, there was a big put like in the, if you look at the tiers of things, like we're talking right now about websites, probably under that 500K. Uh, acquisition costs and below, yes. right? So yeah. 
Yep. If you get above that realm, there's these aggregators, right? I mean, it happened with all the news, the news sites got all aggregated together and like just a few people own all the news. <laughs> a lot of people don't know this. Just like, I think yeah. there's a handful of families that own all the news outlets in the world. There's actually some players right now in the content space. I think one of them's called Treasure Hunters or something like that, or, but they're buying up content sites and they're a content site holding company. There's a few of these guys out there now. Are you running into yeah. that type of? thing where people yes. are yes but like you say i'm focused mostly on the small like 500k that's very big it's quite big for me typically my ballpark is usually around 100k or less evaluation so you'd be making somewhere between five and ten thousand a month for sort of that sort of price range yeah uh, those businesses all the way down to as long as it's valued at 10k i value it at 10k or more I'm happy to list it, at least at this stage. <laughs> There's a space for everybody, right? Like right now that suits you. And at some point you might have to move it up just because of how much volume, right? It's just the old, it's economics 101, <laughs> supply and demand. Yeah. At some point your demand on your time is going to be so much, you're going to have to move the bar up a little bit, but. Yeah. And that has started happening. I've got more listings now than I probably ever have. And I'm still taking on those listings, but that's because we can handle it. Um, right. I, my team is growing. So instead of me not being able to handle it, I would rather just grow my team and continue to service that area. As your team, did you, or do you support the digital nomad type of life? Is your team Absolutely. local to you or all over the place? No, they're all over the place. My only full-time staff member is in South Africa, actually moving to New Zealand. She's able to do that. She's going to continue to work for me and time zone is a bit different, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> I think I have, uh, I've got one from... The Philippines, one from Vietnam that do the more basic stuff. Yeah, the team is growing. My, my partner works with me on the business as well now. She's basically probably the one who knows the business the best. And she's <laughs> actually, she's actually extremely good at it. She'll, she'll step in and help out when necessary as well. Awesome. That's really cool. I always ask, cause I, I've kind of embraced that. I still own a pest control company in Oklahoma. It's really small, but what I'm looking for and what I'm doing now is I want it to be able to move with me wherever I go. Like I got intrigued last week by one of my guests who actually has what I jokingly refer to anything I have to do logistic is SIBB businesses. So I'll be really polite here and say stuff in a box. <laughs> so these yeah. were, I use another phrase when we're not live. Anytime I have to put something in a box, inventory of that, store it on a shelf, figure out where it's going, ship it out, that requires usually a location, some team members there and stuff like that. And while she had two of those businesses that are subscription-based, which I love, uh, recurring revenue models, I was intrigued at first. So I was like, yeah, send me the information. Then when she sent it to me, I finally they clicked in. I was like, I got to hold to my plan here is I want to be as mobile as possible. You can... I don't want anything tying me to a particular location. So that's one of the reasons I'm looking for content sites or like I participate in some big marketing roll-ups and some other stuff, roll-ups where I'm a remote worker helping doing the mergers and acquisitions. And at the end of the phase, we're selling this off, right? Talk about like the process. We, we talked about like what it took to get it out there. You get it listed. There's a bidding side of it and then you can list it for a flat fee, right? Like it's like you just want a particular yeah. price on Flippa. What is the... I know in the brick and mortar game, there's the old, I don't know what you call it, rumor or fact, but they say that almost only 20% of all listed businesses ever sell. And there's a bunch of stuff. What is the probability of something listed on Flippa finding a buyer? From my experience, very high. Certainly a lot higher than 20%. I can say that much. I did do the numbers once upon a time, a couple of years ago, and my sale rate was about 80%, a bit over 80%. But that includes businesses that I list as no reserve options. Those are usually guaranteed a sale, but if the sale falls through then of course, that's different. I would say close to 80%. That will also very heavily depend on A, what the market is doing and B, what you've listed it for. Obviously, if you've got a business that has been valued at say a hundred thousand and you list it for 200,000, it's going to be significantly harder to sell unless it's actually worth that amount. So listing it at the correct price is also very important, which is why I spend a lot of time on the valuation uh, before we go to list. What's the timeline? I know like in, in the real estate space, we call it days on market, right? And we actually mm -hmm. track that. We know we can track how hot a market is by what the average days on market is for pieces of real estate in a particular market. What's the average like 
okay, I list not from the day, not your sell cycle from the day somebody comes to yeah. say list it, but from the day it's up and live to the day you guys are doing escrow and transferring the technical side yeah. of domains back and around where, you know, it's physically changing hands. What is that yeah. average timeline? The average timeline for me is about 30 days. That's really I, fast. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, that also takes into account the no reserve options that I have. There are some businesses that you list and then there's a buyer just right there. And then it's only live for a couple of days. So that happens. And that obviously brings the averages sort of a bit. And there are other businesses. I know I've got one right now that's been there for six months. It's a bit inconsistent. I will say that that one in particular has been listed at an aggressive price and that's mm -hmm. why it's not selling quickly. The other thing obviously is if the business has got issues with it, if there's problems with the business that, that the buyers are struggling to kind of become, I had one that it was a dropshipper business, mm -hmm. not a content business, and it was selling unlicensed products <laughs> and it was very difficult to sell that business. It ended up selling, but for a very low multiple, it was very, very low. And so the person who bought it, if they can figure out the licensing, they've all of a sudden made a huge profit from it because yeah. Anyway, those are some examples on what will, what, how long something would be on the market for. What are the top three tips you would give somebody if they're thinking about selling a website? What do they need to like, I know when, so I'm kind of relate this to my listeners who are heard a hundred shows about buying and selling brick and mortar. And we tell everybody, if you're thinking about selling your business now, you're, it's going to, there's two or three years worth of work you need to get your financials straight and change the way you're doing your books and stuff. What does that time like look on the website space? Huh? Yeah, it's much, much lower than that. There are people who come to me literally, and then the preparation phase is about a few weeks. Um, oh, so wow. That, that can happen. It does depend on the business. Obviously the bigger the business, the harder it will be and the more time it will take. But the preparation of the data that we put together usually only takes about three weeks. And so long as they've got that information, it can be listed. Sometimes they don't have the information, like say, for example, they haven't installed Google analytics. Again, you can still list it. I've listed some that don't have it installed, but I always tell them install it now in case it doesn't sell and you've got information moving forward. Right. In terms of like the top three tips, I mean, other than the obvious, you should get an expert in your corner, like a broker. We'll leave that one out and just have that one sort of off to the side. Yeah, that's an obvious one. You need to have your information basically perfect. It doesn't, shouldn't have any, any holes in it. So for example, if you've got your profit and loss, and in one month you've got X amount and then you have a screenshot saying that it's something else and it's out, even $10, that's an issue. And that's a red flag because what else have you got wrong? So being really detail orientated on what it is that you've actually said, that's very, very important. I suppose having Google analytics is, that's also kind of a given, I guess you should definitely have that. The strategy on how you sell is also quite important. What you actually go in with the asking price. Asking price should usually have some room to move up or down. So it should be pretty reasonably listed. And you're going to get, depending on where you list it, how you list it, you're going to get a lot of buyers asking lots and lots of questions. Some of them are going to look like tire kickers that aren't interested in your business. They just want to know. I have had heaps of buyers who look like tire kickers that end up being buyer. So always treat the person that you're talking to your buyer as though they will be the person to buy the business. So that, that those are sort of some basic rules, rule of thumbs that you can use pretty much to sell any business. What are the buyers going to look for? Right? So I know in the brick and mortar space that we would look at like in our due diligence, especially in the due diligence phase, we'd be looking at your last three years of financials. Be honest, if you're a solopreneur or you're on the lion's share, We'd actually ask for personal tax returns because you'll, you're very likely, you're more likely to falsify your books and hand me a set of books than you will be to falsify your tax returns and send those to the IRS. So it's exactly. a way, yes. but Good that's point. one of the things that it's really hard to correlate. A lot of these small business yeah. owners, they'll send us their books or send us their profit and loss statements and then they look all rosy and then we say, okay, for part of due yeah. diligence, I want to see your personal tax return. And if they agree to it, either sometimes they'll walk because they don't want to share it. They know they've done something, but it's really yeah. hard to line that up. What is sellers yeah. at? I mean, what do the buyers ask for in these transactions? What are the, okay. is it? I want to cover tax, tax reports just briefly, because it's something that a lot of buyers will ask for. And those typically can only really be included if it is an entity sale. 
So if you're selling the whole entity, most portfolio owners, myself included, when I ran them, they file it either under a company, all of their businesses. So they file all their taxes under one LLC or under their personal name. Even mine was under my personal name until it got to a certain point and it was all bundled together. And so what that means is of course, you can't give that to a buyer who wants to see those tax reports because it's going to have all of your other businesses on there that don't aren't included in the sale. Most of, like I said earlier in the conversation, most of the businesses that I'm listing are asset sales, unless it is specified otherwise. Okay. So for those, it's a bit trickier when you're, when you're looking at the much, much bigger ones, which like we said before, 500 K or more, even at around that range, you're probably going to have a company entity structure that's sort of put in place to manage the business, manage staff, etc. So those ones you can, you'll be a lot safer to ask for the tax reports. And I just wanted to cover that because I feel like that it is something that I hear a lot and it's unfortunate because you can't really give that sort of level of information. And it's unreasonable to expect that even when money is in escrow, because there's a lot of personal information in there that the seller doesn't need to give you. What's required in uh, the yeah. brick and mortar space, like side of business, yeah. the reason we require it is it's we're talking million dollar million million dollar yeah. five million dollar deals i don't care if you yeah. own four yachts and some other stuff on your personal finances i want the section of your even if you're filing it through on your personal tax returns i want to see what yeah. you're telling the irs the business is making right i'll even yeah. i'm exactly. okay with you redacting or blocking out like other assets and stuff like that i want to see what you're reporting from the business side that so anyway I can get it. It doesn't apply on the website because it's just an asset purchase. I was just curious on the differences and similarities across there. The other, but I think your original question was about buying what the buyer is looking for. Right. Um, what are the buyers looking and for? And I think so. In the scenario where they're asking for a tax report, what I will typically give them instead is as much information as we can, whether that's a live screen share, a video at the very least of the dashboards, any expenses. Usually, what you can do is plug the website into a tool that will tell you what sort of plugins they've got or what sort of information they've got. And sometimes there'll be premium plugins in there or something like this that require licenses and other things like that. So you can use external tools that will help you determine what sort of other expenses there will be. And of course it's going to be different. Like when you take over a business, it's not always going to be like, there are some expenses that won't apply to you that did apply to the seller. For example, a development costs. Maybe you don't need to do any developments. Maybe you're a developer yourself. Uh, maybe you're a writer yourself and you write a, want to write all the content yourself or vice versa. I've got some sellers that write all of the content themselves. And so they don't have an expense for content. The buyer wants to pay for the content to be written. So there will be an expense extra there for them. So keeping that in mind, I think is important. So yeah, but that sort of thing is very difficult to prove. As you said, if a business, if a seller says that they're, that they're writing all the content themselves. And then they're outsourcing it. That's a risk. Right. I think that what you should do as a buyer is look at how much am I going to spend? How much do I need to spend to continue this content going the way it is? The question should be how much content are you creating? Not how much does the content cost? So, yeah. Okay. And then I know in the other side of the fence, there's a lot of things like earnouts and buying partial companies, like keeping the own, like. Does that happen in the, in this web space? Does somebody buy a website and the guy wants to, the guy selling it wants to continue writing for it. He just doesn't want anything to do with the rest of the business. He likes to write. He's a writer and he wants to stay around and write for it. Does that happen? Yeah, that happens. Yeah, it happens, especially with the ones that are a little more involved. I've got, I'm selling a services business right now. That's about copywriting. Actually, she actually is selling the copywriting as part of the service. And so that one's tricky to find a buyer because if they're going to take it over, that for the profit margins to be the same, they're going to need to write all the content themselves. What you can do as the buyer is ask the seller, is it possible to, for you to stay on for three to six months while we either use your skill set to sort of branch out or hire, find someone in the meantime, give you a bit of breathing space to, to get the business under, under wraps before. I was move looking forward. through that when I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a good copywriter. I've been trained in the art of it. It's paid good money to be trained under Dan Kennedy and some other people, but uh, I don't practice it often enough to be really good at it. I write pieces occasionally when I need one. And then I yep. usually get them up and functioning 
prove they work a little bit and then I pay somebody to come rewrite it and make it better. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I do kind of a minimum viable product as far as I, I write to get something out like, does the market really want this? And then once I prove something and it starts making some money, it's like, okay, let's have somebody that it's all they do is write day in and day out, take a look at this yeah. and rewrite it. To but, increase the conversions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, and a lot of times, hey, can you improve upon this? Like, I could throw it away and do something better. <laughs> Most copywriters don't like to work off of somebody uh, else's material. They'd rather like, course. look, you, you mixed X, Y, and Z. Let's just write a better yeah. piece. So It's very creative work. Yeah. It's more creative than just writing a blog post. <laughs> I've asked you a lot of questions so far. If you were in my shoes, what would you have asked? Like, what, what are we missing here? We've covered valuations. We've covered multiple. We've covered briefly covered due diligence. We could maybe delve a little bit more into that. The basics is just checking to make sure the information that they've listed is correct and asking for screenshots and those sorts of things. Um, what about the technical aspect of it? Are there services out there that help translate? I buy a website from you. I have a Bluehost server. I don't want to mess. I'm a pre previous nerd. I was a system administrator. I've actually been system administrator for some of the biggest websites on the planet, right? Back in the day when Excite.com was head to head with Yahoo, I was a senior director of operations for all the Excite. So the... The nerdy side of it, making sure the servers were up and running. And when you clicked on a link on a website, it didn't break. Yeah. All those servers, yeah. the two 3,500 square foot or 35,000 square foot data center, those guys work for me, but I don't want to do it. Right. So now if I bought a website, I'd, I probably yeah. could jump into DNS and make some changes and do a backup of your site and move it over. But are there services that do that transfer or how do you go yeah. about facilitating the move? So about 95% of the time, just to clarify what you're saying, you're talking about like when someone's bought a website, we've mm -hmm. got to then basically take that website and move it to where the buyer can control that right. business, the website files the, and posting content and those sorts of things. 95% of the time it is done by the hosting company. So the hosting company that you sign up for, so for the businesses that I'm running, most of them can survive perfectly fine on a $10 per month. $15 per month hosting plan. And most buyers will just get a new one or put it to one where they already have businesses that they own or other right. websites where they are. The hosting company, 95% of the time, they want your business. And they've gotten on to the fact that if they move a site there, chances are it's going to stay there for at least a while. Most of them, if you reach out to their support, will do that. If that I buy a website and reach out. Yep. So, yeah. sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. <laughs> If I were to buy a website mm -hmm. and like the, just because of my mind's turning 90 miles an hour right now, if I were to buy a website and like I have GoDaddy for all my domain names, because I've been there since they formed, <laughs> I used to be a domainer. I had thousands of domain names. I'm down to about a hundred right now, or maybe even lower. I just got rid mm -hmm. of about a half a dozen. I might have like 80 domain names now. That said, I don't host on there anymore because I've had problems with the quality of their hosting. So I host yeah. on Bluehost. And so the question is like, I could call Bluehost and say, hey, I just bought a new website. Can you help me migrate it over yeah. to here to you guys? And somebody there would take care of that and I just pay them something? Absolutely. No, you don't even need to pay them. It's part of the service. Most of the time you don't have to pay them. Yeah. You should just basically email them as though, yeah, I need to move this site over here. Can you do it? You got to remember, I come back from the... percent of the time, they'll do it for you. So, I come from the um, old days, right? Warrior form, like, hey, you want to sell this? Okay. You put part of the... I'll put part of the money in the account. You help me. You give me the backup files. I'll install it. I'll give you the rest of the money. We all did it. Like, there yeah, was no escrow.com. There was no... like, yeah. And then you had to make sure you mm -hmm. went back and changed all their passwords and stuff because, like, they're my SQL database passwords and all the stuff that took to run the website. Yeah. You didn't want them coming into the background. It's, Nobody it's coming a lot into the easier background. now. Yeah. Yeah. It's so much easier now. Basically, you just need access to cPanel or like the hosting server and then a WordPress or whatever dashboard it is. Usually that's pretty much it. You yeah. don't need to know much more than that. And those skills are pretty easy to acquire just through trial and error or just going on YouTube and finding free videos. But you mentioned something about escrow.com though. I imagine that there are a lot of listeners that don't know what that is. It's important once you've found a buyer, what happens? <laughs> I think that maybe that's something we haven't covered that might be useful. Yeah, let's, do, let's talk um, about that. So the process, once you've found a buyer, there's a couple of steps that need to happen. 95% of the time, it'll be escrow.com that you use. And what they do is they basically will, the buyer will transfer the funds to escrow.com. They will hold the funds while everything gets transferred. As you're setting, as or one of the other first things you do is a sales agreement, which basically puts out everything that you're selling, you're agreeing, I'm purchasing this business for this amount. This is the steps. This is the process. Usually there's a bit of a timeline and those sorts of things. It's a legal document that's binding. And so once those two things are done that, and funds have been sent to escrow, 
you then move forward with the transfer and everything. Never use PayPal, never use anything other than an escrow service because you can they can just run with your money and you can't do anything. The unfortunate thing is that when you're working online, a lot of people will do business with someone and not even talk to them. It's possible. I've done that plenty of times. So you need to have a, a trust system in or a system that is has trust built in. And yeah, I think that's very important. As part of my service, I also offer the sales agreement templates and things like that. So you, you don't have to figure out that by yourself. Flipper also has some themselves. So you can I don't know. I'd ever. I don't know that I would ever use PayPal to do much of anything. I pay my staff for that just to. because they're overseas. Well, the problem is, is like yeah. here's a good example. I did a small transaction not too long ago, but it was my biggest pay, PayPal transaction in years. It's five grand, yeah. and. They locked the damn thing up for like seven days yep. at the beginning. Then they, you know, they, they, they let a little bit out. And then when they, not only did they lock it up when the money went in there, like, ooh, suspicious activity to lock the money up. I think they let 1,800 of it loose. And the rest of it they locked up for like day. I said one, I think it, it almost looked like it was going to be like 30 days. It, it didn't end up being that long. But yeah. then when I went to transfer the 1,800 that they put in it to a bank account so I could use it, right? Because I don't, I only pay my VAs and my other staff on PayPal. When I went to transfer it, they locked that transfer up, right? I didn't like auto transfer yeah. it. Like it pinned that too for a week. And I was like, ah, never again. Don't get me started on PayPal. <laughs> I stopped using PayPal about a year ago. So I've, I have acted as escrow in the past, broker, where escrow.com isn't an option and it's sold privately. You don't really have that many options. So I've done that for the small, really smaller businesses. Right. We used PayPal once. And it was just a nightmare. It was not good. The fees are just. <laughs> fees I don't know are how to justify exactly. spending so much. Uh, yeah. So anyway, so and I've used escrow.com <laughs> yeah. before, and we're not. I'm not affiliated with them in any shape yeah. or form, but I'm a fan of what they do and what they've had. Yeah. And escrow.com, they do charge a fee as well, which I might mention. Usually, the buyer will just pay that. That's yeah. the default. So okay. Uh, anything else that we like we should be covering real quick? Cause I'm going to, we're going to start wrapping this up and make sure people know how to get a hold of you. Three takeaways. Yeah. If somebody can't remember anything else from the show, what would you want them to remember? Like what, what would be the three takeaways of, I heard Joe on, on a podcast and he taught me these three things. What would they be? I'm not good at being put on the spot, but so let me think. Do your due diligence. If you're a buyer, make sure that you are confident that what you're buying is something that you are happy to proceed with. Understand the risks as best as you possibly can before pulling the trigger. That's number one for the buyer. For the seller, if you're looking to sell, we've just been talking about escrow, so that's an obvious one. If escrow you've never done it before, then I suggest you get help at least for your first transaction. So having someone like me or another broker on your side to show you the steps from step one all the way through you're less like you're not going to basically you're not going to make a mistake because you're going to have that expert guidance there to show you this is how much we should sell it for this is what this is what information you need to list it for that's sort of the cheat code really i mean obviously it is more expensive my fee is 15 percent for most businesses that i list the amount of time and effort and energy you can save from mistakes that you could potentially make or just simply not being able to sell it at all you could end up saving yourself a lot of time and what else what do you think is was a golden nugget that i've said so far i think that understanding the multiples range and how they're calculated is important because a lot of website owners and yeah. even buyers they go in this with the expectation that they look at software as a service or something or shopify source and see that they're trading that five years of salary and they think they're going to get that on their website and it's a totally different industry. Yeah. So the multiples of content yeah. website, every industry has different multiples and your, your business, your website, your content based website is going to be different than a software as a service going to be different than a Shopify yes. store or, an, e or yes. an Amazon store. They all have different multiples. Some of them are absolutely insane. Yeah. So don't compare yourself. It's apples and oranges. Like make Yeah. And I could, I could go into detail about each, of those business models because i sell all of those there are plenty of valuation tools out there there are plenty of brokers that you can just reach out to and figure out flipper themselves before mm -hmm. you list it they will give you a range mm -hmm. on how much they think your business should be sold for you can do that for free <laughs> so you know uh, that is something that is pretty easy to get usually at least an idea of how much you'll be able to sell it for yeah i think 
if you're unsure about how much your business is worth, then just go to one of those forms and have someone do it for you. <laughs> yeah. So for me personally, I take the time to do that. If a lead comes through, they want me to get, uh, the call to action is fill this in and I'll give you a free evaluation. There's no strings attached. It's just, this is what I believe business will be worth. And usually that's based off the last 12 month average that you input into the form. So th there's no vetting done or anything. So usually it changes before we actually go to list but that's typically the, the process. So that's actually a good tip. <laughs> All right. How do people reach out to you? What is the best way to, if they want to work with you or have questions for you or have a website they want you to take a look at, what's the best way to, to reach you, Joe? Yeah. Okay. So if you are a buyer and you're interested to get into the market or you want to just get access to a few more deals, just website brokerage forward slash uh, buyers. Uh, and there's a form there that you can fill in that has your criteria as well. So you'll, it asks your budget and the business models that you're interested in. So you can be like content sites or Amazon affiliate sites, etc. So you just plug in that and then you will get emails from me with only your criteria. So I don't, if you're, if you're only interested in businesses that are in the Amazon that's monetized with Amazon affiliate, you won't get anything that's outside of that. Or unless it also has like a secondary thing. If you're a seller and you're interested in just getting a valuation, like I said before, the URL for that is just website brokerage forward slash sellers. Those are probably the, the two call to actions. But if you want to just connect with me, I'm on LinkedIn. That's the one place where I'm most interested, where I'm most active. I actually don't use any other social media. So LinkedIn's pretty much the only place you'll get me. <laughs> and just, I don't know, search Joe Barrow and I'll come up. Cool. I'll put all those in the show notes too. So for you guys who are listening, that'll be in the show description or the show notes. So that with the links to find Joe here, thank you for being on the show today. I appreciate it. It was fun. Hang out for a second when we stop and that's the show guys. Hey, it's your host, Ronald Skelton. I want to thank you personally for watching the show today and invite you to call our new hotline, 918-641-4150. That's 918-641-4150. Call us and tell us about our show, ask questions, uh, suggest a guest, or even tell me about a business you have for sale and we'll reach back out to you. Again, that number is 918-641-4150. Call our hotline and leave us some information. Thank you. I want to announce our new channel partners, the ITX Marketplace. Since 1998, ITX has created $5 billion in value by selling more than 225 IT businesses in 20 countries. ITX works exclusively with IT-enabled businesses generating between $5 million and $30 million who are ready to be sold and M&A decision makers who are ready to buy. For over 25 years, ITX has developed industry knowledge that helps determine whether a seller is a good fit for their buyers before making the match. ITX Mergers and Acquisition Marketplace we have partnered with has a proprietary database of 50,000 plus global buyers seeking IT service firms, managed service providers, Microsoft service providers, software as a service platforms, and channel partners with Microsoft, Oracle, ServiceNow, and, and, and the Salesforce space. If you have an IT-enabled business you're ready to sell, I want you to visit the IT exchangenet.com slash marketplace how to exit that link will be in the show notes visit them now